the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. I am Seth Liebson. As we head into Hour 2, you know, if it involved even tenuously and suspiciously anyone in the Trump family or administration, but primarily if their last name was Trump, uh, the New York Times and CNN, even the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, breathlessly would take any source of any kind sometimes even granting them anonymity and telling us they were very highly placed, only for us to learn that they weren't, uh, on any scandal. Front page, above the fold, days and days of coverage, usually followed by the mantra, Bill's favorite mantra, the walls are closing in. How many times was that said on CNN and MSNBC between the years circa 2017 and two o? Two, one. Um, there is this massive story from an FBI informant who's been used by the FBI for 12 years, has been paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by the FBI for information, for his or her informant work. We don't know the whether it's a he or a she. Major story that's showing Burisma had not just Hunter Biden on payroll, but Joe Biden as vice president on payroll to the tune of $5 million. And according to this informant, according to the informant, it was designed in a way so that it wouldn't be discovered. This is part of the document fight you've been seeing with regard to some stuff Marjorie Taylor Greene disclosed from some stuff that was being fight, uh, fought, and fought, fought over with regard to James Comer and um, Christopher Wray. And it's in this, in this special document that was um, completed by this informant. $5 million, which goes to the whole issue of when Joe Biden was bragging of, about firing a prosecutor investigating Burisma in Ukraine. And it's nowhere to be found. It's not in the Washington Post. It's not in the New York Times. It's not on CNN. Oh, you can go to CNN to get important news still. Don't get me wrong. In fact, if you go to CNN above the at the top... One of their top three stories is a tribute to the Gucci men's loafer. Why this shoe is beloved by presidents, supermodels, and pop stars alike. That's CNN. This is CNN. But not a, not a whisper, not a hint about this major unfolding discovery. Joe Biden was asked about it by a reporter today in a joint appearance the leader from another country, 
And all he did was chuckle and say, it's malarkey. And everyone moved on. It's must. There's the old phrase, it's good to be king. It's good to be Joe Biden, where you get to tell the press what to cover and what not to cover, and they listen. All he has to do is say, there's no there there. It's malarkey. There's no story. And they just move right on. They just move on to the next thing. You'll forgive me if I think perhaps the next time he's asked a question by the press corps, certainly if it's from the CNN White House correspondent, it might be, why does he not wear Gucci shoes and what is his favorite shoe? I mean, we've had at least four questions during his presidency about what his favorite ice cream was, what his favorite flavor of ice cream was. Um. Okay, yes, great. Rob, hi. Rob, and surprise, how are you, sir? Well, I'm fine, sir, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, the main guy, he didn't sound like a guy that lived in Maine all his life, so I don't know if he was a robocaller. I can't even remember the guy he endorsed. I can't remember anything about even if he was asked, uh, well, did this guy he's endorsing ever hold an office, run for office, do anything? So I, I, I just have to blow him off completely. Okay. Um, I mean, that's my sense. Um, <laughs> I bring you get up again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Giving him the attention he wanted. Good enough. Well, <laughs> yeah. He, he, he needed attention, and, and he got and we'll, some. And we'll and keep doing it. Okay. Let's let's move on, Rob. No. Yes. Um, okay. I, I do have to mention the passing of the inventress of the Bossa Nova, Astrid Gilberto, who sang that great song, Girl from Ipanema. Uh, she was 83, and she'd actually spent most of her life living in Philadelphia uh, because she got screwed on royalties by Stan Getz, the sax player, who played the girl from Ipanema, uh, also accompanied by the great American vibraphonist Gary Burton, um, who was a monster on the vibraphone. But after passed at age 83, um, I did send you a video of her, and it was just—it was just magnificent because she was so natural. She was so her voice wasn't, you know, perfect, but it was perfect for. This is 1964, so a little before your time, probably. But I mean, she was a she was a groundbreaker, and nobody's really paid much attention to her passing. And I know Pat Robertson uh, is, is a big passing from an American political scene and religious. Um, but Astrid Gilberto should be, at least from the musical community, uh, another big passing because there was really nobody like her. And she actually, you know, there, there were people arguing about, you know, the Brazilians were barely beat out in the, the Brazilian invasion of the U.S. by the British invasion of the U.S. Uh, musically. Um, but she did play a huge role in in the bossa nova craze and in a lot of of uh, South American uh, what do we call that the, the the music that came from there uh, was more uh, rhythmic and uh, there was there was a guy named Antonio Carlos Jobim. yeah he's the one who wrote it if I'm not mistaken he did I, yeah I he's the monster so. that I do know yeah. Yeah, and but but she was she just looked like such a perfect sweetheart. Anyway, um, the funny thing is, and I give Mrs. Rob credit for this. Um, she was reading something about a, a lady on 
uh, a liberal lady on TikTok was complaining that um, when she was, and she's apparently dating, uh, but she she can't find any guy who's a real guy, masculine guy, who isn't conservative. And, you know, it, so, so she goes out with these guys who apparently aren't conservative, and she complains that, well, they want to split the bill or they want to just, you know, talk about the same things that she does, but the the only guys that she she wants so she she saw the problem with, she saw the problem with masculinity early on is what you're saying the disappearance well, of masculinity but, early on okay yeah right. but but, right. the, but apparently that's what she really wants okay but she doesn't but she doesn't want to admit that well she did admit that okay well no she didn't admit she, all right all right all right all right i think we've got enough of this rob that's quite enough <laughs> that's quite enough <laughs> our tribute yes uh to this uh Evidently great singer I know nothing about, uh, as I know so little about Samba, except Antonio Carlos Jobim. What I did want to talk about in relation to um, uh, what I did want to talk about in relationship to the culture wars that we're going through. I'm going to talk to John Hinderocker at the bottom of the hour about some of this, how they're kind of shaping up. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine this morning about Mike Pence's candidacy and his candidacy announcement, you know, we talk about lanes. We talk about what areas you're gonna you're gonna run in. And, and and what did I think of Mike Pence? Because he's been doing the interviews and the interview circuit. And you know he sounds fine. He sounds like a bit of a throwback. He's a very sincere man. But there's something about him that almost sounds as if the sincerity is itself um, is is itself uh, somewhat um, somewhat. On the nose, as they say, is somewhat of a of an invention. It's not. He's he he he's just that sincere of a man. But I don't know how you run on a even though he is super qualified. I mean, this is a man who was a governor. He was a member of the House of Representatives. He was a vice president. But I don't know how you run on the record of your administration as the vice president. When the president himself from that administration is in that race. So my friend was saying, well, what he keeps hearing him talking about is entitlement reform. And is that going to be strong enough to get him anywhere? He has the obvious name ID. But, you know, I just I got to tell you, I think it's an impossibility to run on the record of your administration when the guy who was really the top of that administration, your boss, is also in that race. And it raises the question of how these culture fights and battles are going to bear out. And I want to talk about that when we come back with regard to the candidates. I will always love Bill, but him having been elevated and promoted gives me such more liberation with my music. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. The discussion I was having with my friend this morning, it's an interesting one, I think. It's going to have a deep implication for the Republican Party and the conservative movement. When you think about Mike Pence's and all the other candidacies, really, uh, particularly uh, on the issue of the culture front, the culture wars, as they're called, whether they're the textbook wars, whether they're the critical race theory wars, whether they're um, the transgender stuff, the sexualization of our kids, uh, the re-racialization, all that stuff. Um, it's interesting that 
this is the angle. And I don't know why it's considered to be – those issues are considered to be the precinct of the right. Um, I think they're just part of you know the constellation that makes up conservatism. And it should be the constellation that con- that that constitutes the Republican Party. We were founded on pre- <clears throat> on the preservation of family in our very first platform, and the elimination of slavery. Uh, you can't tell me that that wasn't a serious social con- cultural issue. It, of course, was perhaps more than any other since, and the party was founded against it. Um calling it a relic of barbarism, as it called polygamy a relic, or bigamy a, a relic of barbarism. So, so it should be part and parcel of the Republican Party. And it's the, it's, it's, it seems to be the area Ron DeSantis, among other things, of course, it's not exclusively his, and he's not running exclusively on it, but it's the area he seems to be pushing on um, in a way that, as between the top contenders, Donald Trump is, is, is not as much. Um, and and that's interesting because we think of Donald Trump, kind of the image of Donald Trump is as the culture warrior. Um, and then others of the candidates have different pieces of this. So, for example, Vivek Ramaswamy um, is doing a lot with the, the corporate wokeness and, and, and has been outspoken on, on these issues. But, you know, I don't know if you could call him a top tier candidate just yet. Um, you would call DeSantis, you would call Pence top-tier candidates based on their on their polling numbers. Uh, Larry Elder is doing the fatherhood piece uh, more than any of the others. And the point I'm trying to raise is um, w- it, it'll probably have a lot of traction, these issues in Iowa. Will it have traction in other races and in other states? Um, In the Republican primary, you want to very much cover this flank, these areas, these issues, this lane, as they say. But it's my thesis that it's not just Republicans who care about them. You know, I made the point that uh, we all know, of course, that, you know, Reagan, in covering cultural issues in 1980, and uh, doubling down on them in 1984, particularly abortion, race-based affirmative action, and uh, welfare, attracted what became known as Reagan Democrats, particularly people of the Democratic voters of the Catholic faith, and particularly on those, those three issues. And my friend was rightfully saying it's a different country. Gosh knows it's a different country. We did a monologue on that on uh, June 6th, D-Day, didn't we? How different a country we are. But it's also a different country in how far and outrageous the culture has moved. When you look at what is taking place, not only in our corporations, but this month and all that is entailed in Pride Month and beyond, you know, the issue of of just gay rights, we are now into the open promulgation and dissemination of pornographic burlesque shows in our major streets and calling it family-friendly. And when you look at or take a serious look at what's going on in the schools, I almost wonder if 
there aren't an awful lot of independents and Democrats who are saying, what the heck? And not heck. <laughs> you know, and not using the word heck. <laughs> I, that's the word I can use on radio, I think, for a couple times anyway. I, I wonder, you take my point, I wonder if there aren't an awful lot of Democrats and Republicans who are saying, you know, we were okay with A, and we were okay with B, and we were okay with C. But, you know, or, you know, we were okay, put it in a different part of the alphabet, we were okay with L. We were okay with G. We were okay with B. But we have traveled an awfully far and long distance into crazy town here, whether it's in our schools or whether we're calling things family friendly. And I, I, just, I, just, I just wonder if, if when people who are concerned about the culturally conservative conservatives running in the presidential primaries and are saying, yeah, well, it may get you the primary, but I don't know how much of a flavor or taste there is for it in the general. Let's remember a couple of things, a couple of things. I think there are independents and Democrats who are saying no mas. I think you're seeing it with some of the support for Robert Kennedy. Um, I think you're seeing it with, uh, my gosh, you got a Hollywood actress today who said I left the Democratic Party over all that stuff, Alicia Silverstone, of all people. I mean, you know, she's, she's I think her left-wing credentials are pretty good, or at least her Democratic Party credentials were. She just endorsed Robert Kennedy. They just can't take anymore. It's about as much fun as they could stand what's been going on over there. So I think it's not, um, it's not so easily dismissible to say um, that there there isn't a role for it come the general election. It may be the winning issue. Ron DeSantis did win a landslide in Florida, having, you know, been part and parcel of these issues only in on, only last year, improved 20 points over his previous run. And you look at some of the school board races that won, my favorite story of the one in the Scottsdale School Board, this wonderful ladies backed by Arizona Women of Action that we had, and and they outpulled statewide candidates of greater name recognition. There was higher voter turnout, much higher voter turnout for those school board candidates that were talking about those things. Turns out the protection of our children here and the innocence of them and the protection of their innocence matters to an awful lot of people who don't have the letter R behind their name. And I guess we'll ask John about some of this, but I guess what – get his thoughts on it. I guess what I'm wondering is for those that are running on those those issues, um, is it enough for them to trump the man whose name Trump is? And – is it something that we're going to win new adherence to the Republican Party over the way we did once before? And let us not forget, though Donald Trump may not be seen as the leader of that part of cultural conservatism today and that part of the culture war today, his candidacy in 2016 was on the cultural issues of that day. A lot to think about, I think. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It is a privilege to bring back to the show our good friend John Hinderocker, among other things. He is a co-founder and co-editor, publisher of the Powerline blog, powerlineblog.com. John, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Uh, doing great. Uh, nice to be with you. I thought I'd warm you up. I see you're sitting in for the big guy, Mr. Prager, tomorrow, so I'd get your uh, radio voice and uh, microphone voice in shape here today. So I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm jumping on that right. grenade that is- for you. <laughs> Dennis is cruising in Eastern Europe. I'm yeah. guest hosting for him tomorrow. Do you prefer which side of the mic? Do you prefer? Do you prefer hosting or or Q and or taking the questions? Oh, it's a lot easier to be a guest. You know, <laughs> as a host, you have to keep your eye on the clock. You have to be thinking ahead to your next questions and and try to make it a good show. You know, as a guest, you just kind of pop off. It's easy. <laughs> I'll take that to stipulate that you think I have a harder job than you. <laughs> okay, fine. John, I wanted to do a couple of things you wrote about um, over at Powerline recently. One is dodging the social issues. I want to come to that in a moment. But first, small thing, big thing, a little bit. It was how soon they forget a post you wrote about uh, the New York Times doing a correction about a small thing, but kind of in doing revealing a big thing, just not knowing some basic music culture. And um, I discovered an interesting phenomenon the other day I'd never heard of. Perhaps you have. You've read articles about yourself, no doubt, in papers, journals. People have written about you online. And when you read it, you realize they get a lot wrong. You know, they almost always will get something wrong. Kind of amazing. Yeah. Not just articles about me, but articles about, for example, um, matters I was dealing with in a lawsuit. Yeah, things you really knew about, and then they get yeah. wrong. And Every so, time yeah. there's a newspaper yeah. story about something that you know in depth, yeah. the story is always wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's this phenomenon. It's kind of interesting. I just learned about it. It's called Gelman Amnesia, where someone will read something they know about in a newspaper uh, or journal or what have you, see how wrong it is, and flip a few pages or flip to another story and start taking that story seriously as if they, the journal knows what it's talking about there. It's called Gilman Amnesia. Isn't that int- had you ever heard of that? I'd never heard of that before. I hadn't heard that term, but I've heard that observation, yeah. you know, that yeah. people people realize that as to the things they are really yeah. knowledgeable about, the, the press is often wrong, and yeah. nevertheless they take it seriously yeah. when it writes about, you know, affairs. Yeah, no, that's right. Why would you take them seriously on anything else when you know how wrong they are about the things you know they're wrong about? <laughs> G-E-L-L-M-A-N Amnesia, and I think it was created by Michael Crichton, if I'm not mistaken, the novelist Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. But now we have a name for it. By the way, you know, CNN firing its latest CEO in, what, two years? Are they ever going to get any better, CNN or any of the mainstreams or legacy medias, or are we just going to plunge along and plot along with, you know, inaccuracies I, I and biases. I don't think I don't think they want to get better. Yeah, I think they've chosen a side. You know, that's what happened at CNN. They brought in the new guy, and and he wants to make him into a a real news organization yeah. as as opposed to a bunch of partisan hacks. Right. You know, right? And uh, they wouldn't stand for it. The the staff ultimately got him got him booted out. Yeah, interesting enough, and it's funny because I remember after the election of Donald Trump in January or maybe maybe it was February of 2017, but January or February of 2017. 
places like CNN and the New York Times, they kept promising, you know, we missed this and we're going to try and do better. You remember all those kinds of statements and all those kind of breast beatings and mea culpas and promises to do better? And they just got worse, I think, anyway. I think they got worse. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that was that was one of uh, Donald Trump's legacies is that for one way or another, he really exposed yeah. uh, how crazed the Democratic Party press has become. Yeah, yeah. And it's now going to be an interesting question, too, as you're watching the um, as we're watching the presidential primaries about, you know, how much. You know, how much of the culture wars, which we're going to get into the social issues in our next segment, I'm going to a break here, your piece dodging the social issues, how much of of, of the culture war these candidates are, are going to want to take up. It's kind of interesting that, that the guy who was the culture warrior so strongly in 2016 and maybe even throughout the first part of his presidency is kind of ceding that to Ron DeSantis this time around, although maybe the other candidates, too. Can we kind of pick up on that conversation when we come right back? Absolutely. Thank you. John Hinderocker is my guest, the Powerline blog, powerlineblog.com. Critical reading, one of the first four websites I go to every morning and one of the few websites I will refresh and check throughout the day. As Michael Barone said, if you want to be smart, you read Powerline. John and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have John Handerocker with us. He is a co-publisher, founder, and editor of the Powerline blog. You want more from John? He's going to be sitting in for the great Dennis Prager tomorrow on Dennis's show. John, the social issues, the culture wars, as some people call them, they're back in a big way. Um, Your piece, Dodging the Social Issues, was really interesting, and it brings up this question. When these corporations, whether it's Target or Anheuser-Busch or North Face or L.A. LA Dodgers, for that matter, when they go down these these odd roads, these shocking roads – it's it is the tail wagging the dog or the dog wagging the tail. Wall Street Journal is talking about CEOs kind of uh, trying to align themselves with social causes in a response to investors and customers and employees. We're not so sure that's exactly right, is it? Are we? No, that's that's right, Seth. I mean, my my poster on Powerline was really kind of dissecting a a fairly long article in the Wall Street yep. Journal about this issue of, of corporations and the landmine, you know, of the culture wars. Yeah. And it starts by saying that CEOs have spent the past few years adjusting to a world in which investors, customers, and employees expected corporate leaders to align themselves with social causes. Now, I question that. Yeah. I mean, I think a minority of investors went along with this ESG fad, mm-hmm. and I think they were looking for uh, for uh, social causes. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some young employees, a recent miseducated college graduate, who wanted their employers to, to get active in, in social causes. But, of course, these, these young employees are usually not the key people right. in a corporation, usually, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not sure quite why management in, in a number of cases thought, uh, thought that they had to, uh, to cater to them. But I don't think there's ever been a time when the majority of, of investors or the majority of employees, and certainly, above all, not the majority of customers, mm-hmm. We're looking at big companies and saying, you know, why aren't you speaking up uh, to take a far left position on on political issues? It's it's interesting too to me 
as to will these companies get the message. We thought they were, uh, certainly in the case of Anheuser-Busch, arguably in the case of Target, not so elsewhere. But I just I, – I was reading a story yesterday, John, with the audience um, – that Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch are doubling down on a big pride march here in Flagstaff, Arizona, where they're one of the lead sponsors of it. And, you know, a, a, a public drag queen march and uh, uh, that they call family friendly, by the way, because, you know, we redefine, we redefine words here apace. You wonder if they're getting the message. Maybe maybe they don't care, as you were saying about places like CNN. Maybe they don't care. I don't know. What do you think? Seth, it is so weird to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, when when the idea of having drag queens marching down the street, or yeah. worse, drag yeah. queens reading books to three-year-old yeah. children, yeah. or drag queens performing in a risque manner, right. and, and mothers giving their two- and three-year-olds dollar bills to right. shove into the drag queen's right. underwear, right. I, I, it, it mystifies me, Seth. I mean, where is this stuff coming from? Who... Who ever thought that there was something good about this? You know, oh yeah, this is great. Let's get behind it. Let's support it. Let's identify our brand with this. I, honestly, it baffles me. Well, it baffles me on all those levels, and it baffles me from the cause of the LGBTQ plus community as well, because it seems to me if you are striving for equal rights, you're striving for a semblance of we're really no different than the rest of you. We just have this uh, perhaps other characteristic or whatever uh, what uh, whatever you want to call it, other passion, other set of passions. Seems to me you would want to not. Be as you say, risque. You would not want to be a burlesque show. You would not want to be a laughing uh, mock, mocking stock, if you will. And and yet that's what they're doing. They're setting off fireworks all over the place. I was watching. I've been talking about a parade. I don't know. Maybe you saw the video in L.A. Uh, with kids lined up to see this float and uh, the floats, the parade of floats, and it was. Um, it was studio, uh, you know, just uh, it was it was it was the, it was some of the worst. I can't describe it on radio what I saw, John. I'm, I'm as you can hear, I'm stuttering. I can't describe on radio what I saw. Well, I think we could all picture it because we've seen things yeah. like this. Yeah, um, a lot of gay people actually have been speaking right. out against this right. stuff. A lot right. of gay people have been speaking right. out against the the efforts to groom children uh, against the you know, uh, irreversible surgeries right. on, on minors against, as, you, as you're pointing out, the, the flamboyant, yeah. uh, you know, uh, aspects of that culture that, that kind of tar everybody with that brush. There's a lot of, of, of homosexuals who are, who are very normal people, you know, in, in pretty much every, every way, and, and a lot of them I've been seeing speaking up in various venues. Me too. Against some of Yeah, the they say this is not what we were fighting for. No, right. and above all, when you talk about this whole ch- child grooming yeah. campaign that's going on, you know, here in Minnesota, our legislature just wrapped up an incredible session, far left, unbelievable, using the skinniest possible, you know, one vote legislative majority to to enact some crazy stuff, including making pedophilia a protected classification. Literally, literally. Yes, that... yes, yes. Pedophilia is now a protected classification under Minnesota's Civil Rights Act. You can't make this stuff up. And, and, and it's not a coincidence, Seth. It took me a while to, to become convinced because it seems so crazy 
But there is a real effort going on across the country to mainstream pedophilia and make it respectable. It's been going on for years without having much success, you know, for obvious reasons. But all of a sudden, it really has broken out into the mainstream. We're seeing it with the drag queen story hours. You know, we're, we're seeing it with things like the statute in, 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 in Minnesota and this whole, you know, and, 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 and libraries. I mean, <laughs> I, look, I've, I've never been a culture warrior. Stuff. This, I'd rather talk about GDP and right. charts and graphs. Well, you, you know, have to be now. You have to be But you now. can't. They're right. coming out. You right. can't help it. It's no. not, we didn't start this. They did. You look at, you know, picture books yep. in, in elementary and, and middle school libraries yep. here in Minnesota, but across the country, with graphic illustrations of how to perform gay sex yes. being put in public school libraries and thus recommended to children. Yeah. You know, why? I mean, th- there there is an effort across the country to mainstream pedophilia and, yeah. and we just we just have to fight it. Well, I think there's a larger effort to turn the abnormal into normal uh across a whole series of uh societal levels. Um it's a deleveling of society really. And as as I was saying, you know, this is going to be an interesting battle within the Republican primaries for the presidential um, for the presidential campaign coming up. A few of them are more willing to go towards those culture wars and a few are a little bit more reticent. How do you think that plays out? Who what what gets rewarded on this, do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I think, Seth. Like I said before, I'm a charts and graphs. Yeah, Yeah. You know, I'm comfortable talking about the economy and budgets and spending and energy policy and that kind of thing. But you can't turn your face away from what's going on. Yeah. I, I think the Republican primary voters are going to want to hear about these yeah. issues, and candidates that aren't willing to talk about them, I think, are going to be viewed as kind of irrelevant. You I, know, I think uh, a lot of independents want someone to speak up about it, too. I do. Yeah, I mean, I like to yeah. tell people, my, one of my lines is, you may not care about political philosophy, but it cares about you. Yeah, that's right. John Hinderocker, good luck tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. Always nice catching up with you, brother. Thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll be right back. Speaking of those charts and graphs, you've got uh, the stock market's volatility, inflation. People are talking about a recession, bank failures. Why Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio why refi is offering and they're based here locally i encourage you to stop by their offices on scottsdale road in the 101 as do they i've been there you won't get a sales pitch no one's going to ask you to sign a thing and when you meet with the team at why refi you'll see why i like and trust them so much and you can too why refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to a 10.25 percent rate of return that's right a 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. Um, pursuing that conversation I was having uh, with John Hinderocker, um, it, it's, um, it is increasingly the case. It is increasingly true 
that more and more of the first generation of the uh, gay rights movement are finding um, taking great offense and umbrage at what is being done in their name. LGB maybe start well maybe want to start separating itself off from the T, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, because the more you hear about it, the more they're expanding with plus and times two and all these other numbers. But one of them is uh, from uh, one of the most interesting pieces I've read was in Spiked today, Spiked Online by Malcolm Clark, who is a a TV producer who was part of the gay rights uh, movement, that first wave of gay rights movement. And he writes this in in an essay I highly recommend, uh, The Fall of Pride Can't Come Soon Enough is what he titled it. Pride used to be a party. Now it's a month-long way to spotlight the increasingly crazy demands of an LGBT movement that has badly lost its way. How can anyone have pride in a movement that champions the sterilization of teenagers or the silencing of women? I'm looking forward to the arrival of a more humble movement, one that recognizes its own faults and doesn't claim the people it represents are any better than anyone else. It should come around soon. There is now a growing backlash against the lobby, and we all know what pride comes before. Well, well said, Malcolm Clark. Uh, let's see. We've got a lot more coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 